Thank you for joining us on the Anchor Conversations podcast, where we are bringing your Sunday into your weekday. Our goal is to invite you into the conversation that's happening when we're preaching on Sunday mornings by giving you an opportunity to ask questions and to continue to interact with the text through this podcast. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome to the Anchor Conversations podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Tyler here again with Jason. Hey, I was trying to figure out if I was going to if I was going to follow up with the uh, if I was going to follow up with the what's up from last week and then I thought, no, I just had this moment of thinking, no, that it just makes me just look really really old. So I was like, I'm not going to do that. I actually had a moment of thinking maybe I should go English um British accent, sorry, from last week, British accent. Um, and then I just figured I would just do the straight up old, uh, Hey, how's it going? I think we were all waiting anxiously for how awkward this was going to be. <laughs> I, I know. And I'm self-aware enough to know that was probably going to be awkward. So <laughs> I, I should just, uh, I should just go maybe, maybe every week, um, it could be something like maybe we just wait for a second and see what happens. Cause you never know, like something happens, you know, last week was just a very split second. I didn't even really think about it. It just happened. Um, I just thought too much today. I like to. I, think, I like to. I think you should try a different accent every mm, week. Mm, and so yeah, I can could text in what they want to hear, and <laughs> then you can take a shot at it. And uh, we'll start the uh, the podcast off being highly offensive hey, every week. If if anybody wants to text in an accent <laughs> for me to try, I will. I'd be more than happy to do it. Um, I just I can't promise that it's going to be any good. A lot of it'll probably just sound uh, British would be my guess. Even if they're saying, Hey, try Russian, it's probably going to sound British. Um, but we'll just have to go today with the straight up old boring, um, American accent. Cause just there was a, uh, there was a character that I did once for VBS that was an Australian guy. And <laughs> I got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of hey, I really like your British accent. <laughs> it was a very, it was a very quote unquote Australian guy because it was very much, it was very much that. We also did another other um, we did another accent that one time when we we did Mister Toothbrush when we were doing high school stuff, yes, and yes. we'd go and we would take if anybody doesn't know what that is, we'd go and we would we would go and like wake kids up in the morning or we go to their house and we do something, we do something stupid, but we we go to their house when they weren't there. And we'd ask their parents, obviously first, and we'd buy an exact, exact replica of their toothbrush. And, um, and then we'd go and and Mr. Toothbrush would, was a hand with a, <laughs> was Tyler's hand with a kitchen glove on it that we had drawn a little face on. And he had this accent. I don't even know what the accent was. Can you do it for us real quick? Can you give us the Mr. Toothbrush? I'm I'm uh, I'm dealing with a little bit of a sinus infection. I don't even think I could bust it out right now. But it was, <laughs> it the the what I would say is it was close to Triumph the Comic Dog. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I maybe there was bit. maybe he was trying to be that, but it, it was not that. It was. <laughs> yeah. He he very much sounded maybe Serbian with we a little bring, bit. Of... We need to bring Mr. Toothbrush back. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even do it. But anyway, he would go around and grab the this this like replica toothbrush and you know clean the grill outside with it and do all this kind of stuff and then put it back and then we'd show the video the following wednesday uh and the kid had no idea they've been using this toothbrush that looks like even cleaning grills so anyway that was the only other accent that i know that we've ever done um and maybe girls we can were, girls were on the it. tame side 
girls were on the tame side <laughs> of what we cleaned as Mr. Toothbrush. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it definitely found its way into a toilet bowl at least at least uh, one time. Yes. Yeah. So quite a few toilet bowls. Yeah. 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 It was, it was, it was good times. <laughs> what you do. Um, so anyway, that's a really big tangent. One of these days, I'm going to get you to do the uh, Mr. Toothbrush accent and we'll, yeah. and we'll have everybody decide what it sounds like. I'll have to think about that. I can't pull it out on the spot. Definitely not when my throat feels like it does right now. All right. Um, but with that, let's jump into uh, a really fun Pretty topic. easy segue into, yeah. um, into, into marriage and divorce well yeah accents are fun and this topic of divorce is really fun you know great sermon to uh to preach through and and i'm sure Mm -hmm. it was enjoyable Mm -hmm. um so you preach from mark chapter 10 verses 1 through 12 with the big idea being what can i get away with is the wrong question for a disciple um so you have the pharisees kind of asking Essentially, Jesus, what's the cheapest thing I can buy on the menu to get a full lunch? Uh, yeah. as, your, <laughs> as your illustration <laughs> um, showed us, you know, uh, mm-hmm. which I did the same thing in high school, by the way. I think we all did. It's, yeah, it's classic. Everybody does. And one yeah. of the best parts about that, too, is I didn't share this either, but the same kind of thing was when Native New York at the time had 10 cent wings. And so we'd go yeah. in and just get water and 50 wings and watch Monday Night Football for about three hours. They're expecting you to go in there and buy like four beers. You know, we're we're all 17 years old. We go in there, just we just get water, pay five bucks for 50 wings, leave. Yep. yep. Yeah. Classic. Um, yeah. So the the Pharisees, we we catch them trying to get away with that with Jesus, and he kind of turns that on them. Um, and there's a bunch to talk about in this text. Um, we're gonna start with kind of some specific questions from this text and from your sermon. And then we have a question that's kind of about divorce and remarriage specifically asking questions about that. Uh, so let's jump into the text. You have this command that's kind of the center of the text from Deuteronomy 24 from Moses uh, about divorce. And when you were preaching through this, you mentioned that Deuteronomy 24 was given to protect women. That command in Deuteronomy 24 was given to protect women. And someone texted in, basically, how does that protect women? How does that allowance for divorce in Deuteronomy 24, protect women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I, it was, I said it as a passing comment, um, and it 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 does it does function in the text in Deuteronomy to um, protect women from not exploiting them. Um, that you know this this verse is in and of itself in Deuteronomy is it's in the law. It's in the the written out portion of what Moses wrote out to the people. Um, a lot of it was because of their hardness of heart, as Jesus pointed out. Um, divorce was one of those things that I think had already been established um, in the Old Testament in, in Israel. Um, and so there were things that, that were already established. They were, they were actually um, writing, you know, when Moses wrote this down and God put it out there, he was writing this because uh, he was trying to address something pretty specific, and you you see it in verse four um, of Deuteronomy twenty four, where it talks about the remarriage of the of the first husband to the woman that gets divorced or her husband dies for the second marriage that she has. It's really protecting against that more than anything. It's trying to protect pretty specific things. It's interesting because you know um, our, our society we have 
you know, as we think about it, a very, I think in the Christian world, a very Judeo-Christian understanding of what, of what mar- marriage is and divorce is. And, um, so some of these things kind of hit us weirdly, you know, as we think about, as we think about the old Testament Deuteronomy, um, let me, let me read from, um, cause I think this is helpful to, to, so you can get the kind of the full, this is the, this is the most concise way that I've heard this said. And so this is from Paul Barker. He's a commentator for Deuteronomy. Um, he's from Australia, but he, he says, says this about these specific verses uh, we're talking about Deuteronomy 24 verses one through four. Um, he says, this is a good example of, of quote unquote case law where verses one through three present the situation, which would be like when this happens and verse four is the actual law, then this happens. So you have this verse for the first three verses, when this verse four, then this, and the, and the, and the, 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 when remember is if, if you, if a, a man finds something dishonorable, that could be sexual immorality it, in, you know, it could be something else. It could be benign. It could be they just, they're, they're done with her, which isn't good. That's that stuff doesn't protect the woman. That's a wrong. That's a hardness of heart issue for them. Um, but if they divorce their, their, their wife, and then um, she gets remarried and that that husband also divorces or dies the the wife that for then there, we have this four verse four, um, then the first husband can't remarry her. That That's really what the law is. You can't just go back and say, well, she's mine. She's my property. I'm going to remarry her now. You can't, you can't do that. Um, he continues. He says, the law forbids the first husband taking back the wife he found no favor with after she is subsequently divorced or widowed. By charging his wife with some indecency, the first husband acquired her dowry. Again, which is something we don't necessarily have here, but her dowry was her father's marriage present to her, he says. So he so he would acquire that um when he uh when he divorced her. So he he would take it. Um remarrying, she was given a second dowry. This example then implies that when her second marriage ended, either through death or through more trivial grounds of divorce, she was able to keep her second dowry. So she was able to keep it. The first husband is forbidden to remarry her to acquire that second dowry. So he can't just go back and be like, I want you and your money. This law protects the woman from exploitation by her first husband. This is the only Old Testament law about divorce. And so what the what the Pharisees were doing was they were taking this and saying, well, we can just divorce no matter what, like because we have these this law here that says, you know, some indecency or because he hated her or something. And they just ran with that. And Jesus is pointing out that that is not the heart of what what the the law says. And actually, that's not God's heart either. He he appeals, you know, so think about it this way. You have the the um created order. And then you have the covenant with with Adam and Eve and God, and then you have this this other covenant that happens in Genesis with with Abraham, and now you have this law covenant with Moses, and they're appealing to Moses, and Jesus says, "Forget all that. Let's go back to creation, because that create that created order is what we need to actually be considering in the heart." And so that's that's kind of what what this law is supposed to be doing. So when I said it's it it was pr- to protect women, um, that's kind of the 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 technical reason why it also is just about exploitation. You can't just be like, she's not property. Um, she was made in the image of God. He, again, Jesus points to creation, male and female. He made them and they get together in, in marriage and they have sexual union. And that sexual union then um, really is something that God, you know, two becomes one God joins together. Jesus says, let's don't let man separate that. So Jesus has taken this and he's, he's actually hitting the fact that, 
that the 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 issue that they should be dealing talking about is less about what can I get away with and more about what does God intend. And as people that were supposed to be the, those that followed the Lord, followed God, they were supposed to actually walk that out and they were not doing that. And then that, that's the same for us, which is why this text really, when I preached it, it's le- it was less about you know the rules for divorce and remarriage, although that's in there. We talked about that. It's more about what does it mean to be a disciple and how are we supposed to be thinking about um, our lives like given for Jesus and then how we think about the Bible put together and, and how we should actually live our lives going forward. Yeah, there's a commentator, uh, Old Testament scholar named uh, Sandra Richter, and she's got a bunch of good stuff on this. If you're someone who's interested in learning more about specifically the the laws in Deuteronomy and how they protect women, um, you know, one of the ways to think about it, kind of like you just mentioned with the dowries, we don't often think about the economic uh, implications of marriage, but for Old Testament Israelites, marriage was a very economical, it was, it was all about economics. <laughs> it was, that's why marriages were arranged. And so, uh, and the, the woman was hundred percent dependent on the men in her life, her, her, the, the dowry from her father, and then her husband's, uh, provision, uh, for, to survive. So there's this protection that comes that you talked about. And what, one of the things that Sandra Richter talks about, and again, it's, it's hard to, to, to put it in a short, um, kind of capture it in a short sentence, but basically all the laws you're going to find in the Old Testament regarding um, husbands and wives are going to, almost all of them are going to put restrictions on men um, because they wouldn't have had restrictions in, in other cultures surrounding the Israelites. And so women were treated really poorly. And all of these restrictions are are protecting women and keeping them from exploitation. So there, there's a lot in there. If you're mm-hmm. interested in it, I strongly recommend her stuff. She's got some videos um, that are shorter and some blogs that are helpful mm-hmm. just to see God's heart to protect women in some things that we would on the surface, as we read them through our American lens, we would go, that sounds horrible. Yeah. Why would God command that? Why would God allow that? And then as she peels back the layers of the old Testament realities, you start to understand what God is doing to protect women and how countercultural it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jesus does the same thing in this text because he's actually, He's actually talking about women divorcing men here too. I mean, he which would have been craziness for them, I think, in the in that era. But in the Roman culture, it was no big deal. He actually sees it as equal. Even if a woman divorces her husband, it's the same thing. There isn't like a distinction between the two. No, it's just the same thing. And and you know, I think and I think sometimes Paul can get a bad rap um, for things that he writes because it sounds like he's being similarly like um, not gracious to, to women and certain things, but culturally speaking, I think if you were to go back and read some of the things that he's saying, it was actually fairly radical for what he was trying to say. He was trying to change the culture of the church and trying to help, help them understand, no, no, we, we need to see men and women as co co heirs. I mean, there's things here we have to understand. So we, we might look at it in, in our lenses from our um, 2023, you know, perch. We're like, ah, what is that? What is he saying? But when you look at the cultural, um, the norms, like Tyler, what you just said, even in, even in that Greek world, the Roman world, I should say Greek and Roman, you, you have this understanding of, of what that means. It's a lifting up of the women in the culture, as opposed to the putting down of them. Um, and so it goes, you know, for us, when we think about it, things like abuse, 
really it was some of these things that's what they were. They were just abusing the women. You know, they were just were it just wasn't it wasn't right what they were doing and God was calling them out. And, and as rightly so, we should do the same. Like as we think about that in marriage, like abuse is something we have to take seriously. I mean, that's not, you know, that is not how God made it. We have a weird, you know, we have this weird hierarchical patriarchal system um, in the church that's kind of, that can be kind of weird sometimes, especially in certain circles. I don't think, I don't think that we have it at anchor. Um, I hope we don't have it at anchor, but I know in certain you know, conservative circles, there's this, there's this kind of a weird domineering. I have to tell my wife what she reads. I, you know, she can't go outside of, you know, I am, the, I am the pastor to her through, you know, so it's like Jesus and then below Jesus, it's me. And then I'm the mediator between God and my wife. And there's a weird thinking there that we got to, we should drop kick that out of our thinking. That is, man, that stuff is just insidious. Like we should not be thinking that way. If you're a woman listening to this, let me just say this Christian, you are a daughter of the living God before anything. He, he, your, your relationship with, with the Lord is, is paramount. Um, your relationship with your husband, if you're married, your relationship with your husband is meant to represent Christ in the church. And, um, and likewise, his relationship with the Lord is paramount. And as you guys interact with the Lord, it's like a triangle. Like it's not a, it's not a straight line where he's between you and God. It's, and husband, if you're listening to this, if you're treating your wife that way, repent and do something different. That is, that is not godliness. I don't care which pastor you listen to that tells you that it's not godliness. Turn from that. Um, treat her like a daughter of the living God, which is what she is. Cause you will be judged for this. <laughs> I guarantee it. Like that is something that, I mean, she is, she, you know, we have to see it that way. If we're going to understand what it, what it means to, to be, um, to be Christians and live in the church. And so anyway, that's a tangent, but I just want to make sure I said that too. Yeah, that's important. The only thing in that whole discussion that disappointed me is that you said Paul Barker's an Australian uh, author, but you did not read that with an Australian accent. So maybe next time. Yep. Next time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you posed this question uh, during your sermon. Uh, it was something to the effect of, you know, kind of asking ourselves, does my life have the flavor of the king? You talked about like a brisket and whatever, whatever's entailed with salting a brisket. I have no idea because I don't cook, especially not brisket. But uh, we're, you know, kind of supposed to ask that question. Does my life have the flavor of the king? Um, how, how can we tell if we've lost our salt as disciples? You kind mm -hmm. of gave that that idea of like, if you saw a brisket that looked like it had been seasoned, but then it tasted bland, there'd be a you know, disconnect there. And, and that we can do that as Christians. We can wear the Christian mask, but not have the flavor of Jesus. How do we diagnose that if we're doing that? That's that that's a good question. The um that idea of of looking like something um and not having the flavor, I think really is like you know, trying to trying to just put on a, some sort of costume halloween costume going back to our peter discussion uh put on a halloween costume to just fake trick everybody out you know and just to say hey i go to church i do this um i guess i mean there's a lot of ways i could answer that tyler i think uh maybe the the most succinct way would just be to point maybe to the fruit of the spirit um as i think about that you know jesus you know jesus spirit is the holy spirit it's the spirit of christ and so when Paul's talking about, hey, what is the fruit of 
the spirit life? Like, what does it look like for you as you have the spirit in you and the spirits working in you? What does that look like? What is the fruit of that in your life? So if we think about, when we talk about fruit, you know, we think about if we have a a lemon tree in our backyard, um, it should produce lemons. It looks like a lemon tree, you know, it it should be producing lemons. If you go out there and it, and it's producing apples, something's not right. Wait a second. It looks like a lemon tree, but the fruit's not what it's supposed to be. And so when we think about that, maybe we, we should think about the fruit of the spirit, which is love. So we think about this, does your life, this is a diagnostic, does your life in, in a, in a, you know, holistic way, not perfect way, but in, you know, in, in the, in the trajectory of your life model, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you, if you were to look at your life, if you were to ask your spouse, if you were to ask your closest friends, if you were to ask your coworkers, people that you're real about, would you say, Hey, when you think about my life, and you think about how I interact with you, or you think about how people view me or how you view me, is it about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous self-control? Is that, you know, is that something that is modeled by my life? Does it have the flavor of my life? You know, humility is something I think is super important. I think that's that's kind of integral to all of those things. A humble person is gonna be able to, I think, see some of this in their life because humility is a is a it's not one of the fruits, fruits of the fruit of the spirit here, but I mean, Jesus modeled that perfectly. Um, or, or is the, the kind of the trajectory of your life, the, the globalness of it, people's interactions with you, what, what the flavor you give off to them, is it abrasiveness toward others? And I'm just going, I'm just going to try and get opposites of those fruit of the spirit. So we can see the negatives here, abrasiveness towards others, grumpiness in your mood regularly, agitation, in your temperament discontentment regularly, you know, people stay on your good side or else kind of attitudes. You know, if people, if you, if people cross you, boy, look out, cause you are just going to just, you're going to take them out. Um, cheating to win lack of accountability and untrustworthiness, bitterness and a quote unquote, walk on eggshells around you persona. People are scared of you. Um, and quick to judge or gossip or slander or bite bite other people, not physically, but like metaphorically bite, you know, just c- coming out and you're just going to just step on them. You're going to squash them. Um, is that more of what the flavor of your life is? And it's, and it's one thing I would say this, it's one thing to be that way with your immediate family, but what about people outside of that? What about the people you interact with on a daily basis as you know, teachers that you have a disagreement with, um, or coworkers that maybe make you mad or, Somebody at Starbucks that gets your name wrong every single time you go in there, or um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a bunch of examples just in the community, but you know, you go to the library and someone's always sitting in your seat, um, you know, whatever is, or, or you're in your community group, you know, somebody's, somebody doesn't say hi to you one day um, and you, and you get grumpy about it and you start judging because, well, they're, I just think that that kind of stuff, like what is the, what is the trajectory of your life? What is the flavor of your life? Because if it's, if it's the kind of thing where where you're constantly, you know, people are walking on eggshells because you're they're scared of you, I think you've lost some of the flavor of what it means to to be like the king, um, because people weren't like that with him, you know. I I just think people, you know, the children ran to him, um, and even when the disciples, like this week, the disciples tell the children to get away, he's not like, yeah, children, you're you're bugging me, 
he, he tells the disciples, Hey, no, no, don't do that. Like that. I want them to, you have to have actually a faith like this child to, um, enter the kingdom. Like this is what it is. And so he, he picks up the kids and he blesses them. And so it, it, what is the trajectory? What's the holistic thought of your life? Again, not perfectly everyone. Cause we're not going to be perfect in this. We are, we are in a world of sin. We have that in us. So there's going to be moments, but what's that? Like, what is the flavor of that? Is that, did that answer your question, Tyler? Is that, I think I, hopefully I answered that. Okay. No, I think those are some good, really good diagnostics to pray through, to think through, you know, to the extent that we are modeling the fruits of the spirit, we're giving off the flavor of Jesus. And to the extent that we're not, we're not, we're giving off the flavor of the world. Uh, the only other list that I would add to this, and I won't go through all of it, but is the Beatitudes as well. And Jesus talks about saltiness right after uh, the section in Matthew 5 on the Beatitudes. Uh, so that's another just kind of way to to look and, and really think through um, those attributes of a follower of Jesus. And, and actually one of them, uh, you know, they're not all like happy go lucky. You know, one of them is blessed are the persecuted, uh, because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven, you know, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, so as we think about saltiness, it's, it's a, 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 an authentic dealing with the, the brokenness of the world in our own lives, um, with, with authenticity. Um, and I think that's important as we think about saltiness, um, Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the world is broken and, and, uh, everyone experiences that the difference with Christians is that we have the gospel and we have the spirit of God in us with that stuff. So, um, yeah, that's good. So let's get back to this idea of divorce. Um, and thinking specifically about divorce and remarriage, uh, someone texted in and asked, uh, if I have been divorced and I am redeemed by Jesus, am I cheating on my first spouse by remarrying or do I have a clean slate to remarry and move on? Hmm. This is a, this is a good question. Um, I would say the answer to this is debated, um, in Christian circles. I can give you my perspective, um, on this. And um, if I'm understanding the question correctly, um, I I can't quite tell if it's, um, well, I guess it's the same either way. I, I can't quite tell if they're saying I was divorced and, and then I was redeemed and can I remarry? I don't, or if it's just saying like generally speaking, um, I would just, I would just say that there is, there's a lot of grace given for um, life's sin. Like, I, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of grace by the Lord to, to think through that. I know, I know that it's, um, it's a tough one because of how Jesus ends this, um, with, you know, if you, if you commit, if you divorce, if you get divorced and remarry, it's adultery is what he says. Um, and I'm not saying he doesn't mean it. Um, I think, I think one of the things that we have to remember is, um, as we're, as we're kind of thinking about this whole topic here, um, any, any sin we commit, you know, whether willfully or not willfully, um, whether something we just omit or we commit either one, um, as Christians is covered by the grace of God. It does not mean that we're just free to do whatever we want to do. This is all, if you're, if you're not sure I'm talking about read Romans, because I think Paul even answers this and, you know, he answers this question. He's talking about 
grace. And um, as we think about it, there are um, there are plenty of times where we're gonna we're gonna make mistakes in life, and um, I think that the Lord has a lot of a lot of grace for that. I, I think about a lot oftentimes about Paul killing Christians before he became a Christian. And then he's a, you know, he's a pastor, apostle, new Testament author. He's not disqualified from that. He, he rests in the grace of the Lord Jesus and his, and his righteousness, his per- perfection for him. Um, you think about Peter and some of the mistakes he made denying Jesus or, or even going back on what he had said about the Gentiles and the Jews in, in Philippians, um, with, with Paul. And so there, you know, there, there, are, there are mistakes we make. I think that we, we work hard to live a life of holiness and of godliness. And we walk that out. Um, and I think that we just need to make sure as we're thinking about these things, we are doing so, um, sober, soberly, it's not just flippant, it's sober, sober mindedness. So, you know, recognizing, okay, yep. I know that this is what the Lord is, um, desiring. Um, um, didn't, that didn't happen that way in, in my life. And, um, I think that as you think through that, especially if there's sexual immorality and especially if there's things like abuse for sure, it gets to be a little more gray. And I I'm taking this question like this, where it's not because of that. Maybe it's just cause I just, you know, we just got tired of each other and moved on. Um, and I would just say, I, I think that there is grace for that in my perspective. Again, I think there's a lot of perspectives on this. That'd be my perspective. I think it's, I think it should be a sober minded thing though. Like, I think it should be like recognizing, yep. Okay. This was not something, you know, I, I understand what happened, you know, was something that the, that is, um, the Lord doesn't desire. Um, I can see that in the scriptures and, and then I think, you know, talking with people about it and you can talk to me about it. If it's a situation you're in, I'm happy to chat with you more about it, but, um, that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I think about it. I think that there's, you know, as we live life, you know, what happened 10 years ago, five years ago, isn't necessarily the same place I'm at now. And I just think that there's a lot of grace for that. It's kind of how I think through it. Yeah, that's good. I won't add to that. The only thing I'll say is, um, so not answering this question directly, but just thinking broadly about it is that, uh, like being single is something that Paul says, if we can, we should, we should do. Um, and singleness is, is something that probably gets down, does get downplayed in the church um, as something that's maybe, you know, a, a lesser virtue or something than marriage. Um, but that's not how the Bible looks at singleness. And so, you know, if you are someone who's been divorced and you're trying to figure out where do I go from here, I would say, don't be afraid of singleness. Um, in fact, I think the Lord will meet you in that season, whether it's just for a season or whether if it's for longer, whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, your savior was single. <laughs> You know, uh, Paul, the, the the guy who wrote more books of the New Testament than anyone else was single. So um, th- there's a lot there for single Christians as well. And and I think a lot of grace to be found and, and goodness of God to be found in singleness. So that's all I'll say about that. All right. Uh, last question here um, as we wrap up soon. Um, your second live it out point uh, was to kind of look at what ask uh, excuse me, to ask, what does God desire and to live it out? Um, just give us broad categories. What does God desire from us? You know, what's the big picture? Help us discern God's desires for us. Yeah. I wonder if, I wonder if a lot of times we, and I'm, and I, again, guys, everybody, I, I include myself in all this. So n- none of this is, 
none of this is, is like, you know, I'm somehow an outlier. I would include myself in this. I wonder if we get so caught up in, in the particulars, which we, we need to at times that we forget just the bigger picture. Um, you know, when we look at, when we look at what God says in the law and especially the, the, the beginning of the law, um, and when, when people ask Jesus, Hey, what are the greatest commandments? He just says, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is how it, this is summed up the law and the prophets. Um, and I think that when, when we think about that, if we love the Lord, our God, with all of our hearts, and we just desire for that to be the case, and we love our neighbors as ourselves, we, we look and we say, how, how do I treat my literal neighbor or my church name, my in my local church, the people around me, how am I interacting with them and treating them? I think that that is what God desires for us. You know, you can go to other places like Micah. He has shown us a man what is good and what he desires of us, but to, um, but to love mercy and to act justly and to walk humbly with him. Um, so we could go to there as well. Like, what does that, what does that mean? I think that when you look at that, walk humbly with him, love mercy and kindness and to, love justice to do justice as I actually what it says do justice but you know that really does sum it up and love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself it's kind of the same idea when you think about the New Testament how it plays itself out um you know the church goes out it tells people about Jesus you know gathers together as a local church and worship of him um it's serving one another you look in acts and the ways that they interacted with each other really what they're doing is loving the lord their god with all their heart soul mind and strength and worship and and trying to live like him and and loving their neighbor as themselves primarily serving each other yes but, but proclaiming the mission i'm sorry proclaiming the gospel through the mission we've been given through jesus to make disciples of all nations to do all of that and really you know one way to think about this that might be helpful for you maybe you don't have a high priority of the local church maybe you're listening to this and you're like i just don't see the local church as that big of a priority i would say the church itself in the new testament as referred to as the body of jesus he is the he himself is the head of the church um so jesus is, functions as the head of the church and the rest of the church so think about our local church he's talking to the ephesians at the time so our local church at Anchor Church, we are the body and Jesus is the head. He, we function like that body together. So when we love the church, in a way, we are loving him. We're, we're doing it in a way we're loving what he loves. We're, we are a part of something that he is. It, it should actually cause us to have a, a heightened view of the local church experience. You know, we we gather together and sometimes we we can just, you know, we can take it for granted. Um you know, and we take it for granted a bunch of different ways. We can, you know, not attend regularly. We can, um, you know, we can not participate, you know, a lot of times in things we cannot serve anyone. Just let people serve us and don't do it back. We can, you know, whatever it might be. I don't know. We're, we don't, you know, we're, we're not, we're not given everything. We have to proclaim the gospel mission, uh, you know, living on mission. We're not, um, whatever it is, as we think about the local church, but as we do that, you know, we, we need to see that we need to see that that's part of what it means to love the Lord, our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's to be together and to represent that there's so, there's so many times in the new Testament. I mean, read, read the Johns, both the gospel of John and first, second, third John. But um, how many times it talks about like brothers and sisters, love one another, like love one another. Um, they will know you by your love one for another. Um, 
you know, just over and over again, just talking about what it means to love each other. And, and as we do that, we're, we're loving the, the bride of Christ, which is the church. We're loving um, Jesus because he's, he died for that church and he rose again from the dead um, there. Read Revelation 1 through one and two, you're going to understand that he walks among the churches, you know, as there, he's walking on these lampstands and he's, some of them are going out. Um, he's removing some of them, um, because he recognizes that there's things that the church should be about and proclaiming and it's love for each other and it's love for him. And so I, I just think, I just think that when we think about what he desires for us, it's to love him with all of our hearts to love our neighbor as ourselves. And really, honestly, the, the church body is a, is a remarkable way to do both of those things together and to grow in them and, and to walk that out together. It takes a lot of purposefulness to do that. You know, I think God desires for us to purposefully walk in his purposes. You know, you don't just drift into loving the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. That or your neighbor is yourself. There's a purposefulness uh, behind that. And I do think that what the Lord desires for us is to ask that question, what does God desire of me in every situation? As I think about my witness at work and at school, um, you know, who I am and what I'm doing, what does God desire from me? As I think about how I spend my free time, what does God desire from me? As I think about how I spend my money, what does God desire from me? And, and on and on the list goes, you know, you talked about church involvement. What is not what do I desire for me? What does God desire for me? Um, and there's a purposefulness behind that that's that's required uh, because what he's desiring of us, what he's calling us into is sacrificial. It's not easy. As we've talked about in the last few weeks in Mark, um, it takes faith. It's actually walking by faith. God desires that we walk by faith and that's not easy, uh, but it's worth it. So, yeah, yeah, it is. All right, well, Let's do that. Any closing thoughts on here? Um, no, I think that that's good. I, I think that just reminder, this is all flowing out of, of just being salted and sacrifice a sacrifice. You know, we, we, it costs us something to be a disciple and Jesus is, I mean, this is one of the unintended things that I think is coming out of Mark for me is just the reality of it costs us something. As we look at who Jesus is, it will cost you. It'll cost me. And so, this week, this upcoming week preview for Sunday is no different because it's, it's, um, it's both, um, your status as a human in some ways. Cause he's like, you have to be more like children. And then also your status in terms of your, maybe your economic or your social status. Cause it's not about money. Money actually is a hindrance sometimes, um, with, with, uh, with, uh, with us, it's impossible with God, all things are possible. So he redeems those things. Um, but, uh, they're always a trip up. And so it's just about, you know, what are we, what's it going to cost us here to follow him? And this upcoming week's no different. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thanks everyone for joining us today as we brought your Sunday into your weekday. Um, let's continue to press into the Lord and, and ask, what does he desire of us as we go forward? Yep. Thankful for you all. Thanks for listening. All right. Talk to you later. If you made it this far in the podcast, thanks for listening to us uh, discuss this, these topics today. Uh, now I have a little audio treat for you. We talked about Mr. Toothbrush in the beginning, and here is a little sample of Mr. Toothbrush uh, for your listening pleasure. Hola! Toilet brush and grill brush and pool brush 
and oven brush. Oh, I love those ones. And toothbrush, yes, toothbrush. That's my favorite kind of brush to brush with. Dentists recommend you brush twice a day, two minutes each time. And don't forget to floss. Happy brushing. Thank you for taking the time to join us today as we brought your Sunday into your weekday. Our hope and prayer is that you'd continue pressing into the Lord and applying the Bible to your life as you seek to honor Jesus as King. We'd encourage you to continue this conversation with God through reading the Word and praying, and to continue this conversation with other Christians at your anchor huddles and your anchor communities. We look forward to worshiping King Jesus with you this Sunday and to talking to you again on the podcast next week.